check out events because we have an event for today's message. And if you open up uh, the events feature, it'll find it for you. And uh, you should be good to go with today's notes and, and uh, scripture. And uh, Pastor Bob's here somewhere, but I don't know where. So I'm just going to walk away and see if he shows up, okay? Guess what? Guess what? I've been thinking a lot lately. No, I have, really. And the dominant theme that I've been thinking about is, our God is so good. Huh? Our God is so good. Hmm. He is, he really is. He's so good. And it's not even Thanksgiving week, and we're thanking him for so many things. We praise him for his goodness. And I want to emphasize that today as I start with you. I was thinking personally how good he is to me. Today I start my 44th year of pastoral and preaching ministry. Wow! I was six months old when I started. Ah. <laughs> uh, by the way, I know uh, Todd mentioned your Bible app and so on, and if you're getting your Bible or your app or whatever ready, make sure uh, that you go to today's scripture, which is John's Gospel, chapter 4. Uh, and if you haven't already done it, check into Facebook and let people know where you are. Newsflash. There's no insider club in the body of Christ. There is no inner circle at Faith Community Fellowship. And when we talk about universal salvation, that means salvation that is offered to the whole world, I want to remind you that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. There are no degrees. There are no plans other than God's plan. So every person in this room this morning, and anyone who follows this message by electronic means, I have a clear and present message, and I have a call to action, and I have a stark reminder which I've simply dubbed, outsiders are people too. It was about 15 years ago, a pastor went to a public forum to listen to Dana Scott. That name may not mean anything to you, and that's fine. Dana was the sister of Rachel Scott, who was one of the students killed at the Columbine High School. How many remember that awful day? Boy, that's that's still etched in our minds, isn't it, and in the conscience of our nation. And one of the points of Miss Scott's message was that we needed to be more compassionate towards those who are not like us, such as people normally considered as social rejects or challenged in some particular way. And her sister had, in the last couple of years, that would be Rachel, become convinced that God wanted her to reach out to these same people. And it was interesting that Dana pointed out it was two of those people who took her life. And that pastor said, boy, when I heard her speak, that message so convicted me that right then I asked God to show me what I could do in the same area and how I could communicate that conviction to the folks in my church. And as he was telling that story, and as I was reading it, he brought to my mind the story of the Samaritan woman. How many of you know that there's a story in the Bible, that comes from the Bible at least, about a Samaritan? How many of you have heard that word before, Samaritan? What do you usually think of when you hear of the Samaritan? The the what Samaritan? Good. The world uses that terminology. They have no idea what they're talking about, but they say, oh yeah, he did that for you. He's a good Samaritan. 
Well, I'm not going to talk about the good Samaritan today. I'm going to talk about the bad Samaritan. So as we go to John chapter 4, and stay with me, we're going to see some interesting things. Now, to some of us here today, that I'm sure this story is familiar. But I want you to allow me to recap it just a bit before I read some scripture with you. We're going to read portions of it, but I want to give you a quick overview. Here's the story. Jesus is on his way to Galilee, uh, to Galilee, and he felt like he should go through Samaria, which was almost an unexplainable journey. We don't know why that was. We don't know why. We do now. When they got to a town called Sychar, the disciples went off to find some food. And in the meantime, Jesus is sitting at Jacob's well, and he strikes up a conversation with a Samaritan woman. Now, he's already broken all the social norms of the day, just in, in one fell swoop. Now, in those times, that was not a good deal to most people. Let me say it to you this way. First off, don't be offended. It's not meant to be offensive. I want to tell you, this is all part of that culture then. First of all, she was a woman. And the prevailing attitude of Jewish men at that time was that it was almost better to be a dog than a woman. And that's not meant to be funny. That's just that was a prevailing thought. This was not at all scriptural, it was not at all godly, but that was the attitude. Next, and probably even more important, she was a Samaritan. And Samaritans were at best half-breeds, they were interbred Jews who intermarried with the people of the region, and they were brought there by the king of Assyria during the exile of Israel, and Jews hated Samaritans, and the feeling was mutual. So not only was she a woman, not only was she a Samaritan, but she was also a sinner. So that's one, two, three. Three strikes and you're out, right? Uh, Not so with Jesus. Hopefully not so with us. So today I want to show us, church, how we can reach out to those who are outside our normal circles. And I want to do that by showing this great example of Jesus. So now we're going to turn to John chapter 4, and the first thing I want to say before I even read the scripture is, if we're going to get anywhere with this message, and then we're going to do anything with it, and then we're going to motivate and activate the church to do what it should be doing, first thing we need to do is set aside our prejudices. I'm going to be so bold this morning to say that most, if not all of us, operate under certain prejudices. Some more than others, some less than others, but I I could almost guarantee that most all of us, if not all of us, operate under some kind of prejudice. I want to remind you of this. Jesus was never under such a restraint. No such thing could be said of him. Look at this. He was a Jew, but that didn't stop him from ministering in many diff- to many different people. He even ministered to a centurion from the hated Roman army. Here we see him talking with a Samaritan woman. So follow this. I'm going to pick it up in verse 4, if you'll, if you'll come with me here. John 4, 4. Now, we, he had to go through Samaria. So here we go. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. That's why it's called Jacob's Well. Jacob's Well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, or it was about, what time? Noon. It's the middle of the day. This is the heat of the day. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, this is another social taboo that uh, a woman wouldn't come to a well to draw water in the middle of the day. And I don't have time to explain all that, but just take my word for it. So when she came to draw water, verse 7, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now, (laughs) I'm glad the writer put this in. His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Now, this is going to be very pertinent to what I want to say uh, after a little bit. In verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? In case we didn't get the whole thing before, the writer put in, For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. 
Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you what? Living water. I want you to remember three principles when it comes to shedding your prejudices. And are we pretty much all agree that we all have some kind of prejudice? We kind of work under those, those prejudices sometimes. And, and sometimes almost involuntarily, we, we don't even really mean it. We don't even sometimes recognize it. But then when we sit back and analyze it, we say, that was, that was prejudicial. That, I was prejudging there, right? So here are three ways that we can start working on shedding that because we're going to have no effect on anybody in the church, out of the church, in the community, for the Lord, if we don't understand these three principles. So here we go. It's not the color of the skin. It's the color of the blood. Do you know that we all bleed red? So that puts us on even ground, doesn't it? It's not your gender, but your image. We're made in the image of God. Regardless of sex or age or current lifestyle or religion or background or where you've been or who you've been with or what you've done or whatever... Look, I want to tell you, Jesus shed his blood, and I can't find anything in Scripture that says he shed it only for Americans. He shed it only for Israelites. My Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And the last time I checked, that includes all the continents and all the people on the continents. Remember when we used to sing that little Sunday school song? Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red, brown, yellow, black, and white, all are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Good job. (laughs) We used to sing it better than you just did. Um, Red, brown, yellow, black, and white. All. Precious in his sight. Why? Because like Jesus, we all bleed red. Now, the second thing I want you to to notice if we're going to shed prejudice is to remember the root issue here. And the root issue is salvation. I want to bring this home. People of all races and all lifestyles need Jesus. They don't need another debate They don't need another argument. They don't need another theological degree. They need Jesus. They're not exempt. The issue is not where they came from. The issue is not how they dress. The issue is not how we dress, for that matter, church. They might look good. They might act good. They might smell good. They might even go to church. But if they've not trusted Christ as their Savior, then they will know a hopeless eternity of suffering and shame and total separation from God. It is no different for Samaritans. It is no different for outsiders. It is no different for anyone that might be in your mind right now that you're thinking of. And the third thing to do, if you're going to shed your prejudice, is remember where you came from. Hello? I don't mean your ethnicity. That could play a part. And let me tell you this. Immigrants need the love of God too. You must as well say amen because I'm going to stand here until you do. I'm an immigrant. Don't ever forget that. And I'm a legal one. And I did it the legal way. And I can stand here and tell you, immigrants... Need the love of God too. Uh, A college student was reporting this little incident. He said he was sitting at a table in the student union having some lunch, and he overheard a buddy of his, next couple people down, complaining about all the furry foreigners at the college. And the first student said he was just blown away. Someone said, why were you blown away? He said, because his last name was Lewandowski. 
You understand? He is the descendant of foreigners with a name like that. And unless you are a full-blooded Native American, you have descended from immigrants. Anyone here that hasn't? Is there anyone here that hasn't? Point well taken. What I really mean here is this, and I'm just laying the foundation here, that we need to remember that before we came to Christ, listen to me very carefully, this is not a condemnation of anybody, but before we came to Christ, we, the Bible says, were enemies of God. Enemies of God? The Bible says that until we become children of God, we're actually the objects of his wrath. Yet he looked at those objects of wrath and he said, you know what, they are worth saving. And Samaritans are worth saving too. And you were worth saving too. And I praise the Lord, I was worth saving too. And hear this and hear it well. All outsiders, whatever you might call an outsider, are worth saving too. So set aside your prejudices. Now, along with setting aside prejudice, the second thing that goes here in getting this job done is speak the truth in love. Let's pick up, if we can, our reading, John chapter 4 again, verse 13. I want to read five or six verses, okay? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Hmm. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. <clears throat> Excuse me. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, well, Go call your husband and come back. I, 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 I have no husband, she said. Jesus said, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, You've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Now, <laughs> I have to throw this in. If Jesus was following certain popular models of evangelism that are out there today, he wouldn't have brought up the woman's sin. He'd have just said, oh, go to church, send me some money, I'll send you a prayer cloth. Live the you'll you'll be you'll be prosperous soon, and uh, you'll you'll have a big house like I do, and everything will be great, and God's going to look after everything. You have no more concern, no more worry. He just thought, would have told her just just love Jesus, everything's going to be all right. I, I I'd like to ask some of you. I don't need responses, but I'd like to ask some of you if anybody ever told you that. And I wonder how many have actually come to Jesus and put your faith in Him and found out everything wasn't all right. You might be destined for the great here, far beyond, but you're living your life in the great here now. And there's quite a gap between the two. No need to turn, her from, turn from her sin. No need to die to her own desires. She didn't need to do all that if, it, if he was following some of this modern uh, evangelism, he, he could have just said, well, just, just follow me and, and you'll figure it out and everything will be great. Hey, you know what it is? It's easy for us to avoid touchy subjects. Have you ever said to yourself, well, I'd like to, I'd like to say, but I just, mm, I'd like to tell them, I, mm, but... Uh, I don't want to be too just. Mm -hmm. yeah. So we, what do we do? We avoid touchy subjects. And I'm that way sometimes too. Because unfortunately for our comfort zones that we like to live in, Scripture talks rather specifically about sin and about its consequences. There's a lot in the Bible about sin, isn't there? There's a lot in the Bible about the consequences of not following the commands of God. Excuse me for just a moment. I'm trying to keep the throat alive. <clears throat> Thank you. 
People need to know that sin grieves God and that the penalty for sin is eternal punishment. Jesus didn't hold back. He didn't avoid the issue. He told the woman that he knew of her sin and didn't apologize for it. It was interesting, too, that he knew all about that before she ever said anything. That's why she ran into town and said, you've got to come meet this guy who told me everything about myself. He told me everything. How did he know? Let me give you some tips for telling the truth in love. First, don't apologize for the truth. It seems more and more today in our left-leaning, secular, humanistic society, people try to make us feel, oh, it's just more and more and more and more this is, this is going on, make us feel like we need to apologize for sharing the love and salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let me tell you something. The cults aren't apologizing. The various sects that we have running around this country are not apologizing. The non-Christ-centered religions are not apologizing. The anything-goes crowd, just do it, are not apologizing. And the God-denying atheists who want to run this place are not apologizing to anybody. We have nothing to apologize for when we share the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Aren't you glad? Mm. If anything, we need to apologize. Listen, we need, well, we do need to apologize. We need to apologize for not bringing the gospel to those people sooner. Amen. So if the Bible is right, that's a funny statement, isn't it? If the Bible is right. There's no if. It is. Then we have the news that people need to avoid God's wrath and to enjoy his forgiveness and to enjoy a full life here on earth and an eternity in heaven forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. That's a pretty good story right there. Why would you apologize for bringing that message to a lost soul. Huh? Folks, don't apologize for sharing the good news. This is the greatest news that the world has ever heard. Nothing else even compares to it. So let's not apologize for that. Something else on this whole thing of telling the truth in love. Don't ignore sin that needs to be addressed. It's not our job to catalog everybody's sins or every sin of a, a friend or a or, or an acquaintance or whatever, but they need to know that Jesus offers freedom from sin. All sin, you don't need to catalog it, you don't need to put it into different degrees of sin. He offers freedom, forever freedom, from all sin, past, present, and future. What a salvation! What a deal! I want to caution you to keep in mind, We cannot expect Christian behavior, I think this is where we go off the rails sometimes, from non-Christian people. Man, sometimes we set our standard, it's higher than the standard we have for ourselves, or for our church, or for Christian people, and we set those standards and say, well, everybody needs to live up to this. And half the time, we're not even living up to it ourselves. Too often... We want non-Christians to behave like Christians. Man, I've spent the very most part of my adult life trying to get Christians to behave like Christians. Let's worry about that first. Got quiet. But guess what, folks? You can't expect spiritual behavior from those who do not know Christ and those who have not been conformed by the power of the Spirit of God. Not going to be done. Now, if you want to address, and I know some of you are interested in these topics, this whole matter of addressing this 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 idea of tell, of telling the truth about what what's going on. I want you to be really careful here. This is a time to look in the mirror, and this may this just let this sink in. It's not a typo. 
But let's see the next point. It says, keep your nose below your eyes. I see lights coming on. I think somebody's home. In other words, don't let your nose get so stuck up in the air looking down on others with this air of superiority that you're no earthly good to them, to yourself, or at all to God. Look at verse 27. Look at verse 27. I've been just itching to get here. I've been just kind of waiting, saying, I've got to get there. Maybe I'll start here. But no, I knew better. Just then, what happens? The disciples return. And they are what? They were what? I think it should have said they were shocked. They were surprised to find him talking with what? A woman? But nobody asks, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? So here's the implication that they wanted to ask those things, but they didn't. They were so surprised, so shocked, so blown away, they didn't know what to say. You can almost imagine, though, what they're thinking. You can almost feel it. (laughs) Why are you talking to her? For crying out loud, she's a woman, and worse than that, she's a Samaritan woman. Let me add this thought. Let me add this thought, and I want you to let this sink in. And matter of fact, I hadn't really thought about their reaction on this as much as I have this time coming through here. Let me add this thought. If the disciples had known about her home life, they would have gone ballistic. Apoplectic may be even a better word. The top of their heads would have blown off. Oh yeah, not only is she a woman, not only is she a Samaritan woman, you should hear the rest of the story. What? I can just see that happening. You say, why did you bring this to mind? I want to say this nicely as I can. You're no better than anyone else. Whew. That flattened a few tires, didn't it? Oh, 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 I'm not done. I'm no better than anyone else either. I should have maybe said that first, but I wanted to get your attention. You and I are no better than anyone else. Boy, we get, we, get, we get so pumped up, don't we? We get so proud and, and so arrogant at times and almost so self-sufficient that we, yeah. Oh, you might be better off. That's debatable because of your relationship with Christ, but you are no better in God's sight than anyone else walking the face of this globe. Think of that when dealing with the Samaritans. Think of that when dealing with your outsiders. Think of that when dealing with those who are outside your normal circles of influence. Think of what, Bob? Keep your nose below your eyes. That's worth, I didn't put it on the screen, but that's worth writing down if you're a note taker. So set aside your prejudice. Speak the truth in love. And a third thing that I want to touch today, be available and be ready. And this is where I don't do as much preaching and you do more participating. So I want you to get ready.
be available, and be ready. Can we pick up the reading again in verse 31? Can we do that? Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. What are they thinking of? The physical. Yep. Yep. Just like some of you are like, what time is he going to get done? I want to have lunch. I'm getting hungry. And in love, can I just say to you, that that's all you're thinking about while you sit here for an hour and a half? You came with the wrong idea and you have the wrong reason and you need to ask God to give you what you need. And what you need, more than physical, is spiritual sustenance. Rabbi, eat something, verse 32. But he said to them, I have food to eat. <laughs> that, that you know nothing about. I'm starting to believe this quite a bit. They, they knew nothing about i got to go back to it. They didn't know about the ladies' uh, home life. I can't get over that. I just can't get over. And I don't even know why he kept that from them. That might have been the first church split ever if he'd have brought that up. Hmm? Bad enough, they probably were thinking excommunicating him anyway. He talked to a woman, and at that, she was a Samaritan woman. Hmm? Anyway. He said, I got food to eat you don't know anything about. Then his disciples, verse 33, said to each other. We're like this. Well, could someone have brought him food? (laughs) The disciples right there were almost as stupid as Satan was when he tempted Jesus and said, if you're really who you say you are, you could turn these stones into bread. He doesn't need stones to make bread. He is the bread of life. He's made everything that is, that was, and that ever shall be. Well, did somebody, you think, bring him, come along and bring him some food? Get serious. You can tell these guys are really, really, really baby Christians. He said, verse 34, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. 35, do not say four months and then the harvest, see seasonal. I tell you, open your eyes, look at the fields, they're ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages, even now he harvests the crop for eternal life. This is nice, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. That's one of the most beautiful verses in, in this whole dialogue. Thus the saying, one sows, another reaps. That's true. So I sent you to reap what you've not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you've reaped the benefits of their labor. Here, the point here, what is the point? Is that there are plenty and plenty and plenty and plenty of opportunities to tell someone about the salvation available in Jesus and see them come to faith in Christ. Uh, I have so many people who've said to me over the years, well, I just can't. I don't think I can witness to somebody. I don't think I... Can't you tell them what happened to you? If you're walking down the sidewalk and a tree falls on you and the paramedics come and say, what happened? And you finally come to and say, well, I know what happened to me, but... I can't really explain it to you. What? What? Well, weren't you here when it happened? Oh, yeah. I was just walking along, minding my business, and boom. What happened to you? What is witnessing for Christ? It's one beggar who has found bread telling another beggar where he found it. That's not difficult. So the point here is you and I, let's be honest, have all kinds of opportunities to tell somebody about salvation that's available in Christ. There are people out there. They're out there this very moment. Do you know there are people walking our streets? There are people who live in our neighborhoods 
who are ready to trust Christ as their Savior, but someone needs to tell them. So I'm hoping you'll go out and try to find some of them. Hey, tell them the good news. We don't get much good news today, do we? You ever turn on the news and say, well, well, what's going on in the world? I'll tell you exactly before you even turn it on today. Exactly the same thing that was going on yesterday. Only it's worse because if they don't make it negative and critical, they don't get any, 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 kind, of, any kind of viewership. And if they're not knocking somebody else down and dragging them through the mud, then their ratings... But then some of the ones that are doing that, their ratings have kind of dipped too. I wouldn't mention anybody like CNN or anything, but even a network like that. They're now 13th. The Nick at Night cartoons are ranked 11th. CNN is ranked 13th. That's quite a source, all right. I'd get my news from them. But anyway, what do you get in the news? Any good news? Every once in a while, somebody, like a local station, usually a radio station, they'll throw in some snippet of some nice thing that happened. And you hear that and you think, here's what you say. Wow, that was nice to hear. Wonder why we can't hear that more often. You ever said that? You ever thought that? Yeah. But we're just inundated with bad news. You got the greatest news. You have the you are. The greatest news the world has ever known. Go shed that. Uh, go sp- uh, share that and spread it abroad. Now, here's some ways to reach out to the Samaritans or the outsiders in our area. Number one, this is now getting down to where we're going to get into business. Identify and pray for the, those outsiders or Samaritans around us. We, you don't walk up to a person. I'm going to just give you a couple of lessons. I used to teach this all the time, but I just want to give you a couple of lessons here. You do not walk up to a person, especially a stranger, and say, <laughs> pardon me, sir, but would you consider yourself a, a Samaritan? Because I sure would. That, that's not a good opening line. <laughs> you may have hurt the future of that conversation just slightly. But what I'm talking about is looking around and looking. We see these people a lot. People that are rejected by our society. They've already been cast off and nobody seems to care. Maybe it's a hard luck person. Some people just, the harder they try, the behinder they go. I mean, it just... And if they had Jesus... It'd be some light and some hope for them. Maybe it's the poor person or the single mother or father using food stamps and you see them at the grocery store almost every week or whatever and you just wonder what the situation... Maybe, it's, maybe they just need a conversation to start with. They don't need condemnation. Maybe it's the student who dresses differently because he or she wants to get attention and that's the only way that they can do it. You see all the different things that are happening in the youth culture today and in the millennial culture today? People say, why do they do that? What, because they're looking for attention? They are insecure? Are they bad kids? Are they bad young uh, adults? No. They just don't know who they are. They're trying to find identity. And they don't want to look like everybody else, and yet what do they do? They go out and do what everybody else is doing. That's singular identity right there. But you can't, can't talk them into anything different. And depending on your circles of influence, maybe it's somebody that isn't poor and isn't cast off and isn't just a, a down-and-out student, but maybe it's a rich person or a person very well-to-do. I've had some friends like this. And they have no real friends, and they have no real joy. Oh, it breaks my heart. And they have no real fulfillment and they have no real purpose. And they're living for today at another dollar. And they live and they die and it's over. You know somebody like that? Say, well, those are people hard to talk to. Just tell them what Jesus has done for you. Maybe it's none of those people. Maybe it's the geek. 
You know, he's carrying three calculators, two cell phones, an iPad, and some pencil protectors. Maybe it's just the short, skinny kid who gets picked on in school. He can't play sports. He can't do this. He can't do that. He can't go to the dance. He just, he's just on the outside. He's the wallflower over there that nobody even sees. So he's convinced nobody loves him. So what are you saying? But I'm saying find somebody. And then what? Start praying for them. Pray that God would open their hearts to the good news of Jesus Christ. You say, you mean, you, 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 you mean somebody like that we, we, we would like to bring into the... Listen, I'd like to pack this building with those kind of people. I want to see people whose lives have been changed by the power of Almighty God. Here's the hard part, though. I want you to also pray that God will allow you the opportunity, don't shut me out, to share Jesus with that one person or two people or whoever they might be. Ouch. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a little different when you actually interact with people, isn't it? Hmm? Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to that which was his own. See, he came to seek and save that which was lost, and he came to his own, and his own did what? Received him not. They not want any part of him. Wasn't that sad? Wasn't that sad? Hmm. Pray for the opportunity to influence and impact those who are your outsiders or your Samaritans. Second thing to do, welcome them into our fellowship. I'm going to repeat that. You may not have gotten it. Welcome them into our fellowship. Because they're as welcome as anybody, and no one here is more welcome than anyone else, and no one here is less welcome than anyone else. Well, we got that settled. It used to be, that people, you, I remember this. This is how old I really am. I was brought up in a downtown neighborhood. And it used to be, on Sunday, basically the world shut down. Pretty much everybody in the neighborhood went to church. Not all the same church, but they went to church. Why? Because the church door was open, and it was Sunday, and it was the thing that you did if you were a responsible human. I didn't say they were all Christians. I didn't even say they all became Christians. I didn't even say they all believe what I believe. But they went to church and tried to live moral lives, and the world was a whole lot better for it, at least. And let me also say, sadly admit, those kind of things don't work, don't, just don't happen anymore. That approach doesn't work. Well, we're open. We, we, we let people know on Facebook and on, in our, on our email and on our website and everybody should know that we're here, and we do a lot of community stuff, and we meet on Sunday, and we got that huge sign out at the uh, yard, out at the driveway. I mean, how can anybody miss that? And how could anybody even miss what it means? Can you imagine driving by that? We've had people come because it said faithcommunityfellowship.com. I said, how, what brought you in here? We saw your sign. Well, what did that tell you? Told us you were online. Told us you might not be stuck in the 1970s. Told us that it might sound like a church that we'd like to go to. Yeah, I had a couple here a couple summers ago, and I asked them that very question, and the lady said, we came into town on Tuesday. We're staying down on the island, and we're going to be here for a couple Sundays. And when we were driving into the area, heading for the island, I happened to notice your sign, and I said to my husband, that's where we're going on Sunday. So don't anybody criticize our sign because it works. People are welcome into this fellowship. And because they don't just get up on Sunday morning and put their best bib and tucker on and go to church, they need to be invited to church. You can do all the enticing programs that you want, but if you're not inviting people, and some of you here, you know, 
it's time, it's time. They need to see that church has something to offer. Does our church have something to offer, do you think? No. How many of you have been saved and baptized since starting to come to faith community? Can I just see your hand? So our church has something to offer. Not just in the way of a lively service or phenomenal preaching. Oh, you woke up. But, but in the way lives are changed by the power of the Word of God. Let me ask you another quick question. It's a very important one, though. What is the purpose? What is the purpose? You ever had this question asked? What's the purpose of Scripture? Now, the Sunday school answer is, some of you are coming up with that. Ah, I know, it's 2 Timothy 3.16. says, the Bible is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. You go, that's good, I'd give you an A-. minus. It's very close. But those are just the means to the end. Here's what Rick Warren, the pastor of Saddleback Church in California, said. He said, the purpose of Scripture is to change lives. I like Rick Warren because it's just pure and simple, straightforward, down to earth, bottom shelf where everybody can feed, and you understand when he says it and says, that's it. The purpose of Scripture is to change lives. Has your life changed? Huh? The Bible doesn't just exist to inform us about God I know people, and I do know people, who've read through the Bible 70, 80, 90 times by their own testimony and died without Christ. The Bible doesn't exist to inform us about God. It exists to transform us to be godly and to exhibit Christ-like behavior. Wow, I don't want to be informed about God. I want to be transformed by God. Yeah. And when people are being transformed by the Word of God, then it gets easier to invite others because then you get excited and you want to see somebody else come. And the one that, ones that come, they get excited and they want to see somebody else come. And it's easy for people then to see, boy, we have something to offer here. But they need to be invited, folks. Need to be invited Remember that little saying that we've used, invite and invest, invest and invite, whatever. Invited to come. And then how are they invited to come? We sing it often here. Just as they are. Don't try to get them all gussied up. Don't try, just bring them just as they are. Remember the story of the Methodist church trying to get a man to to attend, but he never did. He said, well, I'm going to come someday, 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 but someday he never came. Well, why don't you come, the minister asked him one day, and the man finally admitted it was because he didn't have proper clothes. I love that excuse. So a member of the congregation, took him to a clothing store, got him a really nice suit, shirt, tie, shoes. I mean, hey, the whole ball game. The following Sunday, he didn't show up. The following Sunday, he didn't show up. The following Sunday, he didn't show up. So the minister met him in town one day, and he said, i, I got to ask you, uh, I understand you got some new clothes. Why didn't you come? And the man says, oh, I'll tell you, Mr. Minister, when I got dressed up in my new suit, I looked so good, I decided to go to the Episcopal Church. <laughs> Yep, yep, yep. Get the picture? Get the picture? We don't have a dress code here, so don't impose one on people. Someone said, so what's your dress code? Like far as clothes? And so I said, we would like for you to wear them. Make them welcome. 
and then help them find opportunities to advance. And I'm, not, I'm just talking about advancing spiritually. Don't put people on. It's no wonder some people are hesitant to believe what you and I believe because we put them on such a def, in such a defensive posture. We just mention church or mention the Lord or mention the Bible. or me- And they're immediately in this defensive mode. This isn't on the screen, but write it down if you're note-taking. Life is a journey, not a guilt trip. Look, I've got really, really, really nice, good, solid Christian people in this fellowship, and you're still living in a guilt trip. Life is a journey. Life's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And it's certainly not a guilt trip. If you're on a guilt trip now, you need to ask forgiveness and you need to come clean and you need to move on in freedom. Because you're not intended to live in any guilt trip. And listen, we're not supposed to be giving guilt trips to anybody else. Well, you could come to our church if... Get them all cleaned up first and get them all, you know, looking good first and, 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 and then we'll think about getting them saved. That's like frying the fish before you go fishing. Doesn't really work that way. You know, Jesus could have just left that woman at the well just hanging with the knowledge that he knew all about her sinfulness. But he went on to tell her that he was the Messiah. And then after the townspeople came out to see this guy, he stuck around a couple of days and a bunch of them put their faith in him and a bunch of them went out to tell others and a bunch of them went out to tell others. You know why he stuck around? To help them advance spiritually. And as we look around at those who could use a hand up spiritually, we need to realize that it takes time and effort. See, Remember this, Samaritans are people too. Outsiders are people too. And they're people for whom Christ died too. And in ministering to them, we need to set aside our prejudices. We need to speak the truth in love. And we need to always be ready and available. I want to add something here. I want to add something. I said there were three things, and there are, but this is 3B. Jesus seems to have had a special, nobody ever mentions this. I've never even seen this in a commentary. Jesus seems to have had a special place, do you ever think of this? In his heart for the Samaritans. Listen to this. When he commissioned his followers to win the world, in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he mentions that the Holy Spirit is going to come on the disciples, give them power to be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria. Well, and to the uttermost part of the earth. Tell me they weren't important to Jesus. You're barking up the wrong tree. In Acts chapter 8, verse 4 through 25. Don't look it up right now, just put it in your notes. Philip ends up with a revival in Samaria. A revival in Samaria. That is, people were coming to Christ, coming to Christ. And that happened before God told Philip to go visit the Ethiopian treasurer. Listen, if you need any more proof, I don't know what it would be. God loves Samaritans. God loves outsiders, and so should we. So now what? What are you going to do with this message? I'm just begging you not to do what you usually do with messages. Myself, I do the same thing. I'm going to ask for a very specific response time here this morning. Because, 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 outsiders are real people too. I was an outsider at one time. You were an outsider at one time. Thank God somebody saw value in us and worth. And thank God when Christ died on the cross, he saw you, he saw me, he saw our sin, and he said, they're worth it, and I'm going to die and pay the price. I'm glad. 
That makes me happy. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to commit to praying for and actively seeking to minister to outsiders. You can call them your Samaritans. And before we finish, I want to take a few seconds and ask you to come before God and ask Him to give you a name of an outsider that He wants you to minister to. And if a name doesn't come to mind, I want you to ask Him to put somebody in your path. That's pretty specific. Not easy, not easy. I know it isn't, but if we truly want to impact our area for Christ, we have to do our part. And we do that by being active and reaching out to those who are outside the family of God. If you are willing to become active in reaching out to outsiders, I want you to take hold of the Connect card that's in your seat pocket in front of you. Well, don't break arms trying to get them. Trust me, I'm not going to ask you to do anything stupid. And if there aren't enough, we have more here. And if you want one and can't get one, just put your hand up and, uh, and Rick will deliver them to you. Won't you, Rick? Yes, I will. <laughs> Any, anyone, need, anyone need a Connect card? Maybe the person next to you hogged those ones that were in that pouch. I don't know. Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to say it again. If you're willing to become active in reaching out to outsiders, to be obedient to the everyday commission, I want you to mark that on your comment card. Here's what I want you to do. Just put your name on the front where it says name, flip the card, and in the comment box on the back, um, write the name that comes to mind, or maybe a couple names. Maybe no name comes right now. I can't believe that, but it could happen. Then just write, in the box, Samaritans. That's simple, huh? And I'll know what you mean. And then I want you to, I want you to pray for that person or those people or that God's going to put somebody in your path. And I'll pray for you too. Those of you that are doing that next song, you can come to the stage now. But I wanted to do this before that happened because I don't want to exclude worship team or band members or or anybody else that should be taking one of these cards. Uh, deacons, elders, church leaders, whoever you are, every one of us needs to be serious about this. I want to caution you that not everyone's going to respond just like that Samaritan woman did. Not only did she respond, the rest of her village responded. But we need to give it a try and trust God for the results. I'm going to have a word of prayer with you. We're going to do a couple of songs if you're still thinking of who to put on that, that's fine. Use the next two songs as your time to get somebody on your card. Anybody else need a card now? Over here, down here, Rick. Over here, down here. Anyone else? Flip your hand up if you didn't get your card. Okay. Appreciate that so much. So in the next two songs, fill out your card. And as you come forward for communion... Just hand it to me or to one of the people on this front stage uh, who will be glad to take it from you. And we'll pray over them as well and pray God's blessing. You know why? You know why? Because just like you and I were one day, those not yet Christians are people too. They're people too. Let's go fishing. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of this story. Thank you for the messages within messages that are there. Thank you, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you that you saw us at our point of deepest need and you called us to yourself and you cleansed us and you saved us and you transformed us and you made us and you are making us into that person that you want us to be. There's so many others around us or outside of our circles that, that need to hear that story and need to respond to it. I pray, God, that from the action of people here today that have a genuine concern for the lost, that souls will be saved and Christ will be honored and the word of God will be powerful and will be exalted. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.
We're going to ask that you listen carefully to this song that's going to be sung and played. Don't have to stand right now. And uh, we just don't want you to sing along necessarily. We want you to just catch the meaning of the lyrics and then we'll move on with further worship. Thank you and God bless you.